Chapter Seven of Tales of a Traveler by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Story of the Young Italian. I was born at Naples. My parents, though of noble rank, were limited in fortune or rather my father was ostentatious beyond his means, and expended so much in his palace, his equipage, and his retinue, that he was continually straitened in his pecuniary circumstances. I was a younger son, and looked upon with indifference by my father, who, from a principle of family pride, wished to leave all his property to my elder brother. I showed, when quite a child, an extreme sensibility. Everything affected me violently, while yet an infant in my mother's arms, and before I had learnt to talk, I could be wrought upon to a wonderful degree of anguish or delight by the power of music. As I grew older, my feelings remained equally acute, and I was easily transported into paroxysms of pleasure or rage. It was the amusement of my relatives and of the domestics to play upon this irritable temperament i was moved to tears tickled to laughter provoked to fury for the entertainment of company who were amused by such a tempest of mighty passion in a pygmy frame they little thought or perhaps little heeded the dangerous sensibilities they were fostering i thus became a little creature of passion before reason was developed in a short time i grew too old to be a plaything and then i became a torment the tricks and passions i had been teased into became irksome and i was disliked by my teachers for the very lessons they had taught me my mother died and my power as a spoiled child was at an end there was no longer any necessity to humour or tolerate me for there was nothing to be gained by it, as I was no favorite of my father. I therefore experienced the fate of a spoiled child in such situation, and was neglected or noticed only to be crossed and contradicted. Such was the early treatment of a heart which, if I am judge of it at all, was naturally disposed to the extremes of tenderness and affection. My father, as I have already said, never liked me. In fact, he never understood me. He looked upon me as willful and wayward, as deficient in natural affection. It was the stateliness of his own manner, the loftiness and grandeur of his own look, that had repelled me from his arms. I always pictured him to myself, as I had seen him clad in his senatorial robes, rustling with pomp and pride. The magnificence of his person had daunted my strong imagination. I could never approach him with the confiding affection of a child. My father's feelings were wrapped up in my elder brother. He was to be the inheritor of the family title and the family dignity, and everything was sacrificed to him, I as well as everything else. It was determined to devote me to the church, that so my humours and myself might be removed out of the way, either of tasking my father's time and trouble, 
or interfering with the interests of my brother at an early age therefore before my mind had dawned upon the world and its delights or known anything of it beyond the precincts of my father's palace i was sent to a convent the superior of which was my uncle and was confided entirely to his care my uncle was a man totally estranged from the world he had never relished for he had never tasted its pleasures and he deemed rigid self-denial as the great basis of christian virtue he considered every one's temperament like his own or at least he made them conform to it his character and habits had an influence over the fraternity of which he was superior a more gloomy saturnine set of beings were never assembled together the convent too was calculated to awaken sad and solitary thoughts it was situated in a gloomy gorge of those mountains away south of vesuvius all distant views were shut out by sterile volcanic heights a mountain stream raved beneath its walls and eagles screamed about its turrets i had never been sent to this place at so tender an age as soon to lose all distinct recollection of the scenes i had left behind as my mind expanded therefore it formed its idea of the world from the convent and its vicinity and a dreary world it appeared to me an early tinge of melancholy was thus infused into my character and the dismal stories of the monks about devils and evil spirits with which they affrighted my young imagination gave me a tendency to superstition which i could never effectually shake off they took the same delight to work upon my ardent feelings that had been so mischievously exercised by my father's household i can recollect the horrors with which they fed my heated fancy during an eruption of vesuvius we were distant from that volcano with mountains between us but its convulsive throes shook the solid foundations of nature earthquakes threatened to topple down our convent towers a lord baleful light hung in the heavens at night and showers of ashes borne by the wind fell in our narrow valley the monks talked of the earth being honeycombed beneath us of streams of molten lava raging through its veins of caverns of sulphurous flames roaring in the centre the abodes of demons and the damned of fiery gulfs ready to yawn beneath our feet all these tales were told to the doleful accompaniment of the mountain's thunders whose low bellowing made the walls of our convent vibrate one of the monks had been a painter but had retired from the world and embraced this dismal life in expiation of some crime he was a melancholy man who pursued his art in the solitude of his cell but made it a source of penance to him his employment was to portray either on canvas or in waxen models the human face and human form in the agonies of death and in all the stages of disillusion and decay the fearful mysteries of the charnel house were unfolded in his labors the loathsome banquet of the beetle and the worm i turn with shuddering even from the recollection of his works yet at that time my strong but ill-directed imagination seized with ardor upon his instructions in his art 
anything was a variety from the dry studies and monotonous duties of the cloister in a little while i became expert with my pencil and my gloomy productions were thought worthy of decorating some of the altars of the chapel in this dismal way was a creature of feeling and fancy brought up everything genial and amiable in my nature was repressed and nothing brought out but what was unprofitable and ungracious i was ardent in my temperament quick mercurial impetuous formed to be a creature all love and adoration but a leaden hand was laid on all my finer qualities i was taught nothing but fear and hatred i hated my uncle i hated the monks i hated the convent in which i was immured i hated the world and i almost hated myself for being as i supposed so hating and hateful an animal when i had nearly attained the age of sixteen i was suffered on one occasion to accompany one of the brethren on a mission to a distant part of the country we soon left behind us the gloomy valley in which i had been pent up for so many years and after a short journey among the mountains emerged upon the voluptuous landscape that spreads itself about the bay of naples heavens how transported was i when i stretched my gaze over a vast reach of delicious sunny country gay with groves and vineyards with vesuvius rearing its forked summit to my right the blue mediterranean to my left with this enchanting coast studded with shining towns and sumptuous villas and naples my native naples gleaming far far in the distance good god was this the lovely world from which i had been excluded i had reached that age when the sensibilities are all in their bloom and freshness mine had been checked and chilled they now burst forth with the suddenness of a retarded spring my heart hitherto unnaturally shrunk up expanded into a riot of vague but delicious emotions the beauty of nature intoxicated bewildered me the song of the peasants their cheerful looks their happy avocations the picturesque gaiety of their dresses their rustic music their dances all broke upon me like witchcraft my soul responded to the music my heart danced in my bosom all the men appeared amiable all the women lovely i returned to the convent that is to say my body returned but my heart and soul never entered there again i could not forget this glimpse of a beautiful and a happy world a world so suited to my natural character i had felt so happy while in it so different a being from what i felt myself while in the convent that tomb of the living i contrasted the countenances of the beings i had seen full of fire and freshness and enjoyment with the pallid leaden lacklustre visages of the monks the music of the dance with the droning chant of the chapel i had before found the exercises of the cloister wearisome they now became intolerable the dull round of duties wore away my spirit my nerves became irritated by the fretful tinkling of the convent bell evermore dinging among the mountain echoes 
evermore calling me from my repose at night my pencil by day to attend to some tedious and mechanical ceremony of devotion i was not of a nature to meditate long without putting my thoughts into action my spirit had been suddenly aroused and was now all awake within me i watched my opportunity fled from the convent and made my way on foot to naples as i entered its gay and crowded streets and beheld the variety and stir of life around me the luxury of palaces the splendor of equipages and the pantomimic animation of the motley populace i seemed as if awakened to a world of enchantment and solemnly vowed that nothing should force me back to the monotony of the cloister i had to inquire my way to my father's palace for i had been so young on leaving it that i knew not its situation i found some difficulty in getting admitted to my father's presence for the domestics scarcely knew that there was such a being as myself in existence and my monastic dress did not operate in my favour even my father entertained no recollection of my person i told him my name threw myself at his feet implored his forgiveness and entreated that i might not be sent back to the convent he received me with the condescension of a patron rather than the kindness of a parent he listened patiently but coldly to my tale of monastic grievances and disgusts and promised to think what else could be done for me this coldness blighted and drove back all the frank affection of my nature that was ready to spring forth at the least warmth of parental kindness all my early feelings towards my father revived i again looked up to him as the stately and magnificent being that had daunted my childish imagination and felt as if i had no pretensions to his sympathies my brother engrossed all his care and love he inherited his nature and carried him towards me with a protecting rather than a fraternal air it wounded my pride which was great i could brook condescension from my father for i looked up to him with awe as a superior being but i could not brook patronage from a brother who i felt was intellectually my inferior the servants perceived that i was an unwelcome intruder in the paternal mansion and menial like they treated me with neglect thus baffled at every point my affections outraged wherever they would attach themselves i became sullen silent and despondent my feelings driven back upon myself entered and preyed upon my own heart i remained for some days an unwelcome guest rather than a restored son in my father's house i was doomed never to be properly known there i was made by wrong treatment strange even to myself and they judged of me from my strangeness i was startled one day at the sight of one of the monks of my convent gliding out of my father's room he saw me but pretended not to notice me and this very hypocrisy made me suspect something i had become sore and susceptible in my feelings everything inflicted a wound on them in this state of mind i was treated with marked disrespect by a pampered minion 
the favorite servant of my father all the pride and passion of my nature rose in an instant and i struck him to the earth my father was passing by he stopped not to inquire the reason nor indeed could he read the long course of mental sufferings which were the real cause he rebuked me with anger and scorn he summoned all the haughtiness of his nature and grandeur of his look to give weight to the contumely with which he treated me i felt i had not deserved it i felt that i was not appreciated i felt that i had that within me which merited better treatment my heart swelled against the father's injustice i broke through my habitual awe of him i replied to him with impatience my hot spirit flushed in my cheek and kindled in my eye but my sensitive heart swelled as quickly and before i had half vented my passion i felt it suffocated and quenched in my tears my father was astonished and incensed at this turning of the worm and ordered me to my chamber i retired in silence choking with contending emotions i had not been long there when i overheard voices in an adjoining apartment it was a consultation between my father and the monk about the means of getting me back quietly to the convent my resolution was taken i had no longer a home nor a father that very night i left the paternal roof i got on board a vessel about making sail from the harbour and abandoned myself to the wide world no matter to what port she steered any part of so beautiful a world was better than my convent no matter where i was cast by fortune any place would be more a home to me than the home i had left behind the vessel was bound to genoa we arrived there after a voyage of a few days as i entered the harbour between the moles which embrace it and beheld the amphitheatre of palaces and churches and splendid gardens rising one above another i felt at once its title to the appellation of genoa the superb i landed on the mole an utter stranger without knowing what to do or whither to direct my steps no matter i was released from the thraldom of the convent and the humiliations of home when i traversed the strada balbi and the strada nuova those streets of palaces and gazed at the wonders of architecture around me when i wandered at close of day amid a gay throng of the brilliant and the beautiful through the green alleys of the aqua verde or among the colonnades and terraces of the magnificent doria gardens i thought it impossible to be ever otherwise than happy in genoa a few days sufficed to show me my mistake my scanty purse was exhausted and for the first time in my life i experienced the sordid distress of penury i had never known the want of money and had never adverted to the possibility of such an evil i was ignorant of the world and all its ways and when first the idea of destitution came over my mind its effect was withering i was wandering pensively through the streets which no longer delighted my eyes when chance led my stops into the magnificent church of the annunciata a celebrated painter of the day was at that moment superintending the placing of one of his pictures over an altar 
the proficiency which i had acquired in his art during my residence in the convent had made me an enthusiastic amateur i was struck at the first glance with the painting it was the face of a madonna so innocent so lovely such a divine expression of maternal tenderness i lost for the moment all recollection of myself in the enthusiasm of my art i clasped my hands together and uttered an ejaculation of delight the painter perceived my emotion he was flattered and gratified by it my air and manner pleased him and he accosted me i felt too much the want of friendship to repel the advances of a stranger and there was something in this one so benevolent and winning that in a moment he gained my confidence i told him my story and my situation concealing only my name and rank he appeared strongly interested by my recital invited me to his house and from that time i became his favorite pupil he thought he perceived in me extraordinary talents for the art and his encomiums awakened all my ardor what a blissful period of my existence was it that i passed beneath his roof another being seemed created within me or rather all that was amiable and excellent was drawn out i was as recluse as ever i had been at the convent but how different was my seclusion my time was spent in storing my mind with lofty and poetical ideas in meditating on all that was striking and noble in history or fiction in studying and tracing all that was sublime and beautiful in nature i was always a visionary imaginative being but now my reveries and imaginings all elevated me to rapture i looked up to my master as to a benevolent genius that had opened to me a region of enchantment i became devotedly attached to him he was not a native of genoa but had been drawn thither by the solicitation of several of the nobility and had resided there but a few years for the completion of certain works he had undertaken his health was delicate and he had to confide much of the filling up of his designs to the pencils of his scholars he considered me as particularly happy in delineating the human countenance and seizing upon characteristic though fleeting expressions and fixing them powerfully upon my canvas i was employed continually therefore in sketching faces and often when some particular grace or beauty or expression was wanted in a countenance it was entrusted to my pencil my benefactor was fond of bringing me forward and partly perhaps through my actual skill and partly by his partial praises i began to be noted for the expression of my countenances among the various works which he had undertaken was an historical piece for one of the palaces of genoa in which were to be introduced the likenesses of several of the family among these was one entrusted to my pencil it was that of a young girl who as yet was in a convent for her education she came out for the purpose of sitting for the picture i first saw her in an apartment of one of the sumptuous palaces of genoa she stood before a casement that looked out upon the bay a stream of vernal sunshine fell upon her and shed a kind of glory round her as it lit up the rich crimson chamber 
she was but sixteen years of age and oh how lovely the scene broke upon me like a mere vision of spring and youth and beauty i could have fallen down and worshipped her she was like one of those fictions of poets and painters when they would express the beau ideal that haunts their minds with shapes of indescribable perfection i was permitted to sketch her countenance in various positions and i finally protracted the study that was undoing me the more i gazed on her the more i became enamoured there was something almost painful in my intense admiration i was but nineteen years of age shy diffident and inexperienced i was treated with attention and encouragement for my youth and my enthusiasm in my art had won favour for me and i am inclined to think that there was something in my air and manner that inspired interest and respect still the kindness with which i was treated could not dispel the embarrassment into which my own imagination threw me when in presence of this lovely being it elevated her into something almost more than mortal she seemed too exquisite for earthly use too delicate and exalted for human attainment as i sat tracing her charms on my canvas when my eyes occasionally riveted on her features i drank in delicious poison that made me giddy my heart alternately gushed with tenderness and ached with despair now i became more than ever sensible of the violent fires that had lain dormant at the bottom of my soul you who are born in a more temperate climate and under a cooler sky have little idea of the violence of passion in our southern bosoms a few days finished my task bianca returned to her convent but her image remained indelibly impressed upon my heart it dwelt on my imagination it became my pervading idea of beauty it had an effect even upon my pencil i became noted for my felicity in depicting female loveliness it was but because i multiplied the image of bianca i soothed and yet fed my fancy by introducing her and all the productions of my master i have stood with delight in one of the chapels of the annunciata and heard the crowd extol the seraphic beauty of a saint which i had painted i have seen them bow down in adoration before the painting they were bowing before the loveliness of bianca i existed in this kind of dream i might almost say delirium for upwards of a year such is the tenacity of my imagination that the image which was formed in it continued in all its power and freshness indeed i was a solitary meditative being much given to reverie and apt to foster ideas which had once taken strong possession of me i was roused from this fond melancholy delicious dream by the death of my worthy benefactor i cannot describe the pangs his death occasioned me it left me alone and almost broken-hearted he bequeathed to me his little property which from the liberality of his disposition and his expensive style of living was indeed but small and he most particularly recommended me in dying to the protection of a nobleman who had been his patron the latter was a man who passed for munificent he was a lover 
and an encourager of the arts, and evidently wished to be thought so. He fancied he saw in me indications of future excellence. My pencil had already attracted attention, and took me at once under his protection, seeing that I was overwhelmed with grief, and incapable of exerting myself in the mansion of my late benefactor. He invited me to sojourn for a time in a villa which he possessed on the border of the sea, in the picturesque neighborhood of Sestri de Ponenti. I found at the villa the Count's only son, Filippo, who was nearly of my age, prepossessing in his appearance, and fascinating in his manners. He attached himself to me, and seemed to court my good opinion. I thought there was something of profession in his kindness, and of caprice in his disposition but I had nothing else near me to attach myself to, and my heart felt the need of something to repose itself upon. His education had been neglected. He looked upon me as his superior in mental powers and acquirements, and tacitly acknowledged my superiority. I felt that I was equal in birth, and that gave an independence to my manner, which had its effect. The caprice and tyranny I saw sometimes exercised on others, over whom he had power, were never manifested towards me. We became intimate friends and frequent companions. Still I loved to be alone and to indulge in the reveries of my imagination among the beautiful scenery by which I was surrounded. The villa stood in the midst of ornamented gardens, finely decorated with statues and fountains, and laid out into groves and alleys and shady bowers. It commanded a wide view of the Mediterranean and the picturesque Ligurian coast. Everything was assembled here that could gratify the taste or agreeably occupy the mind. Soothed by the tranquillity of this elegant retreat, the turbulence of my feelings gradually subsided, and, blending with the romantic spell that still reigned over my imagination, produced a soft, voluptuous melancholy. I had not been long under the roof of the Count, when our solitude was enlivened by another inhabitant. It was a daughter of a relation of the Count, who had lately died in reduced circumstances, bequeathing his only child to his protection. I had heard much of her beauty from Filippo, but my fancy had become so engrossed by one idea of beauty as not to admit of any other. We were in the central saloon of the villa when she arrived. She was still in mourning, and approached, leaning on the Count's arm. As they ascended the marble portico, I was struck by the elegance of her figure and movement, by the grace with which the Mazzaro, bewitching veil of Genoa, was folded about her slender form. They entered. Heavens! What was my surprise when I beheld Bianca before me? It was herself, pale with grief but still more matured in loveliness than when I had last beheld her. The time that had elapsed had developed the graces of her person, and the sorrow she had undergone had diffused over her countenance an irresistible tenderness. She blushed and trembled at seeing me, and tears rushed into her eyes, for she remembered in whose company she had been accustomed to behold me. For my part, I cannot express what were my emotions. 
by degrees i overcame the extreme shyness that had formerly paralyzed me in her presence we were drawn together by sympathy of situation we had each lost our best friend in the world we were each in some measure thrown upon the kindness of others when i came to know her intellectually all my ideal picturings of her were confirmed her newness to the world her delightful susceptibility to everything beautiful and agreeable in nature reminded me of my own emotions when first i escaped from the convent her rectitude of thinking delighted my judgment the sweetness of her nature wrapped itself around my heart and then her young and tender and budding loveliness sent a delicious madness to my brain i gazed upon her with a kind of idolatry as something more than mortal and i felt humiliated at the idea of my comparative unworthiness yet she was mortal and one of mortality's most susceptible and loving compounds for she loved me how first i discovered the transporting truth i cannot recollect i believe it stole upon me by degrees as a wonder past hope or belief we were both such a tender and loving age in constant intercourse with each other mingling in the same elegant pursuits for music poetry and painting were our mutual delights and we were almost separated from society among lovely and romantic scenery is it strange that two young hearts thus brought together should readily twine round each other o oh gods what a dream a transient dream of unalloyed delight then passed over my soul then it was that the world around me was indeed a paradise for i had a woman lovely delicious woman to share it with me how often have i rambled over the picturesque shores of sestri or climbed its wild mountains with the coast gemmed with villas and the blue sea far below me and the slender pharaoh of genoa on its romantic promontory in the distance and as i sustained the faltering steps of bianca have thought there could be no unhappiness enter into so beautiful a world why oh why is this budding season of life and love so transient why is this rosy cloud of love that shed such a glow over the morning of our days so prone to brew up into the whirlwind and the storm i was the first to awaken from this blissful delirium of the affections i had gained bianca's heart what was i to do with it i had no wealth nor prospects to entitle me to her hand was i to take advantage of her ignorance of the world of her confiding affection and draw her down to my own poverty was this requiting the hospitality of the count was this requiting the love of bianca at first i began to feel that even successful love may have its bitterness a corroding care gathered about my heart i moved about the palace like a guilty being i felt as if i had abused its hospitality as if i were a thief within its walls i could no longer look with unembarrassed mien at the countenance of the count i accused myself of perfidy to him and i thought he read it in my looks and began to distrust and despise me his manner had always been ostentatious and condescending it now appeared cold and haughty filippo too became reserved and distant or at least i suspected him to be so heavens 
was this mere coinage of my brain was i to become suspicious of all the world a poor surmising wretch watching looks and gestures and torturing myself with misconstructions or if true was i to remain beneath the roof where i was merely tolerated and linger there on sufferance this is not to be endured exclaimed i i will tear myself from the state of self-abasement i will break through this fascination and fly fly whither from the world from where is the world when i leave bianca behind me my spirit was naturally proud and swelled within me at the idea of being looked upon with contumely many times i was on the point of declaring my family and rank and asserting my equality in the presence of bianca when i thought her relatives assumed an air of superiority but the feeling was transient i considered myself discarded and condemned by my family and had solemnly vowed never to own relationship to them though they themselves should claim it the struggle of my mind preyed upon my happiness and my health it seemed as if the uncertainty of being loved would be less intolerable than thus to be assured of it and yet not dare to enjoy the conviction i was no longer the enraptured admirer of bianca i no longer hung in ecstasy on the tones of her voice nor drank in with insatiate gaze the beauty of her countenance her very smiles ceased to delight me for i felt culpable in having won them she could not but be sensible of the change in me and inquired the cause with her usual frankness and simplicity i could not evade the inquiry for my heart was full to aching i told her all the conflict of my soul my devouring passion my bitter self-upbraiding yes said i i am unworthy of you i am an offcast from my family a wanderer a nameless homeless wanderer with nothing but poverty for my portion and yet i have dared to love you have dared to aspire to your love my agitation moved her to tears but she saw nothing in my situation so hopeless as i had depicted it brought up in a convent she knew nothing of the world its wants its cares and indeed what woman is a worldly casuist in matters of the heart nay more she kindled into a sweet enthusiasm when she spoke of my fortunes and myself we had dwelt together on the works of the famous masters i related to her their histories the high reputation the influence the magnificence to which they had attained the companions of princes the favorites of kings the pride and boasts of nations all this she applied to me her love saw nothing in their greatest productions that I was not able to achieve and when i saw the lovely creature glow with fervor and her whole countenance radiant with the visions of my glory which seemed breaking upon her i was snatched up for the moment into the heaven of her own imagination i am dwelling too long upon this part of my story yet i cannot help lingering over a period of my life on which with all its cares and conflicts i look back with fondness for as yet my soul was unstained by a crime i do not know what might have been the result of this struggle between pride delicacy and passion had i not read in a neapolitan gazette an account of the sudden death of my brother it was accompanied by an earnest inquiry 
for intelligence concerning me, and a prayer, should this notice meet my eye, that I would hasten to Naples, to comfort an infirm and afflicted father. I was naturally of an affectionate disposition. My brother had never been as a brother to me. I had long considered myself as disconnected from him, and his death caused me but little emotion. The thoughts of my father, infirm and suffering, touched me, however, to the quick. And when I thought of him, that lofty, magnificent being, now bowed down and desolate, and suing to me for comfort, all my resentment for past neglect was subdued, and a glow of filial affection was awakened within me. The predominant feeling, however, that overpowered all others was transport at the sudden change in my whole fortunes. A home, a name, a rank. Wealth awaited me, and love painted a still more rapturous prospect in the distance. I hastened to Bianca and threw myself at her feet. Oh, Bianca, exclaimed I, at length I can claim you for my own. I am no longer a nameless adventurer and neglected, rejected outcast. Look, read, behold the tidings that restore me to my name and to myself. I will not dwell on the scene that ensued. Bianca rejoiced in the reverse of my situation, because she saw it lightened my heart of a load of care. For her own part, she had loved me for myself, and had never doubted that my own merits would command both fame and fortune. I now felt all my native pride buoyant within me. I no longer walked with my eyes bent to the dust. Hope elevated them to the skies. My soul was lit up with fresh fires, and beamed from my countenance. I wished to impart the change in my circumstances to the Count, to let him know who and what I was and to make formal proposals for the hand of Bianca. But the Count was absent on a distant estate. I opened my whole soul to Filippo. At first I told him of my passion, of the doubts and fears that had distracted me, and of the tidings that had suddenly dispelled them. He overwhelmed me with congratulations and with the warmest expressions of sympathy. I embraced him in the fullness of my heart. I felt compunctions for having suspected him of coldness, and asked him forgiveness for having ever doubted his friendship. Nothing is so warm and enthusiastic as a sudden expansion of the heart between young men. Filippo entered into our concerns with the most eager interest. He was our confidant and counsellor. It was determined that I should hasten at once to Naples, to re-establish myself in my father's affections, and my paternal home. And the moment the reconciliation was effected, and my father's consent ensured, I should return and demand Bianca of the Count. Filippo engaged to secure his father's acquiescence. Indeed, he undertook to watch over our interests, and was the channel through which we were to correspond. My parting with Bianca was tender, delicious, agonizing. It was in the little pavilion of the garden, which had been one of our favorite resorts. How often and often did I return to have one more ado, to have her look once more on me in speechless emotion, to enjoy once more the rapturous sight of those tears streaming down her lovely cheeks, to seize once more on that delicate hand, the frankly accorded pledge of love and covered with tears and kisses. Heavens, there is a delight even in the parting agony of two lovers 
with a thousand tame pleasures of the world i have her at this moment before my eyes at the window of the pavilion putting aside the vines that clustered about the casement her light form beaming forth in virgin white her countenance all tears and smiles sending a thousand and a thousand adieus after me as hesitating in a delirium of fondness and agitation i faltered my way down the avenue as the bark bore me out of the harbour of genoa how eagerly my eyes stretched along the coast of sestri till it discerned the villa gleaming from among the trees at the foot of the mountain as long as day lasted i gazed and gazed upon it till it lessened and lessened to a mere white speck in the distance and still my intense and fixed gaze discerned it when all other objects of the coast had blended into indistinct confusion or were lost in the evening gloom on arriving at naples i hastened to my paternal home my heart yearned for the long-withheld blessing of a father's love as i entered the proud portal of the ancestral palace my emotions were so great that i could not speak no one knew me the servants gazed at me with curiosity and surprise a few years of intellectual elevation and development had made a prodigious change in the poor fugitive stripling from the convent still that no one should know me in my rightful home was overpowering i felt like the prodigal son returned i was a stranger in the house of my father i burst into tears and wept aloud when i made myself known however all was changed i who had once been almost repulsed from its walls and forced to fly as an exile was welcomed back with acclamation with servility one of the servants hastened to prepare my father for my reception my eagerness to receive the paternal embrace was so great that i could not await his return but hurried after him what a spectacle it met my eyes as i entered the chamber my father whom i left in the pride of vigorous age whose noble and majestic bearing had so awed my young imagination was bowed down and withered into decrepitude a paralysis had ravaged his stately form and left it a shaking ruin he sat propped up in his chair with pale relaxed visage and glassy wandering eye his intellects had evidently shared in the ravage of his frame the servant was endeavouring to make him comprehend the visitor that was at hand i tottered up to him and sunk at his feet all his past coldness and neglect were forgotten in his present sufferings i remembered only that he was my parent and that i had deserted him i clasped his knees my voice was almost stifled with convulsive sobs pardon pardon o oh my father was all that i could utter his apprehension seemed slowly to return to him he gazed at me for some moments with a vague inquiring look a convulsive tremor quivered about his lips he feebly extended a shaking hand laid it upon my head and burst into an infantine flow of tears from that moment he would scarcely spare me from his sight i appeared the only object that his heart responded to in the world all else was as a blank to him he had almost lost the powers of speech and the reasoning faculty seemed at an end he was mute and passive excepting that fits of childlike weeping would sometimes come over him without any immediate cause 
if i left the room at any time his eye was incessantly fixed on the door till my return and on my entrance there was another gush of tears to talk with him of my concerns in this ruined state of mind would have been worse than useless to have left him for ever so short a time would have been cruel unnatural here then was a new trial for my affections i wrote to bianca an account of my return and of my actual situation painting in colours vivid for they were true the torments i suffered at our being thus separated for to the youthful lover every day of absence is an age of love lost i enclosed a letter and one to filippo who was the channel of our correspondence i received a reply from him full of friendship and sympathy from bianca full of assurances of affection and constancy week after week month after month elapsed without making any change in my circumstances the vital flame which had seemed nearly extinct when first i met my father kept fluttering on without any apparent diminution i watched him constantly faithfully i had almost said patiently i knew that his death alone would set me free yet i never at any moment wished it i felt too glad to be able to make any atonement for past disobedience and denied as i had been all endearments of relationship in my early days my heart yearned towards a father who in his age and helplessness had thrown himself entirely on me for comfort my passion for bianca gained daily more force from absence my constant meditation it wore itself a deeper and deeper channel i made no new friends nor acquaintances sought none of the pleasures of naples which my rank and fortune threw open to me mine was a heart that confined itself to few objects but dwelt upon those with the intenser passion to sit by my father and administer to his wants and to meditate on bianca in the silence of his chamber was my constant habit sometimes i amused myself with my pencil in portraying the image that was ever present to my imagination i transferred to canvas every look and smile of hers that dwelt in my heart i showed them to my father in hopes of awakening an interest in his bosom for the mere shadow of my love but he was far too sunk in intellect to take any more than a childlike notice of them when i received the letter from bianca it was a new source of solitary luxury her letters it is true were less and less frequent but they were always full of assurances of unabated affection they breathed not the frank and innocent warmth with which she expressed herself in conversation but i accounted for it from them the embarrassment which inexperienced minds have often to express themselves upon paper Philippa assured me of her unaltered constancy they both lamented in the strongest terms our continued separation though they did justice to the filial feeling that kept me by my father's side nearly eighteen months elapsed in this protracted exile to me they were so many ages ardent and impetuous by nature i scarcely know how i should have supported so long an absence had i not felt assured that the faith of bianca was equal to my own at length my father died life went from him almost imperceptibly i hung over him in mute affliction and watched the expiring spasms of nature its last faltering accents whispered repeatedly a blessing on me alas how has it been fulfilled when i had paid due honours to his remains 
and laid them in the tomb of our ancestors. I arranged briefly my affairs, put them in a posture to be easily at my command from a distance, and embarked once more with a bounding heart for Genoa. Our voyage was propitious, and oh, what was my rapture when first, in the dawn of morning, I saw the shadowy summits of the Apennines rising almost like clouds above the horizon. The sweet breath of summer just moved us over the long, wavering billows that were rolling us on towards Genoa. By degrees the coast of Sestri rose like a sweet creation of enchantment from the silver bosom of the deep. I behold the line of villages and palaces studding its borders. My eye reverted to a well-known point, and at length, from the confusion of distant objects, it singled out the villa which contained Bianca. It was a mere speck in the landscape, but glimmering from afar, the polar star of my heart. Again I gazed at it for a live-long summer's day, but oh how different the emotions between departure and return, and now kept growing and growing, instead of lessening on my sight. My heart seemed to dilate with it. I looked at it through a telescope. I gradually defined one feature after another. The balconies at the central saloon where first I met Bianca beneath its roof. The terrace where we so often had passed delightful summer evenings. The awning that shaded her chamber window. I almost fancied I saw her form beneath it. Could she but know her lover was in the bark, whose white sail now gleamed on the sunny bosom of the sea? My fond impatience increased as we neared the coast. The ship seemed to lag lazily over the billows. I could almost have sprung into the sea and swam to the desired shore. The shadows of evening gradually shrouded the scene, but the moon arose in all her fullness and beauty, and shed the tender light so dear to lovers over the romantic coast of Sestri. My whole soul was bathed in an unutterable tenderness. I anticipated the heavenly evening I should pass in wandering with Bianca by the light of that blessed moon. It was late at night before we entered the harbor. As early next morning as I could get released from the formalities of landing, I threw myself on horseback and hastened to the villa. As I galloped round the rocky promontory of which stands the faro, and saw the coast of Sestri opening upon me, a thousand anxieties and doubts suddenly sprang up in my bosom. There is something fearful in returning to those we love while yet uncertain what ills or changes absence may have effected. The turbulence of my agitation shook my very frame. I spurred my horse to redoubled speed. He was covered with foam when we both arrived panting at the gateway that opened to the grounds around the villa. I left my horse at a cottage and walked through the grounds, that I might regain tranquillity for the approaching interview. I chide myself for having suffered mere doubts and surmises thus suddenly to overcome me, but I was always prone to be carried away by these gusts of the feelings. On entering the garden everything bore the same look as when I had left it, and this unchanged aspect of things reassured me. There were the alleys in which I had so often walked with Bianca, the same shades under which we had so often sat during the noontide. There were the same flowers of which she was fond which appeared still to be under the ministry of her hand. Everything around looked and breathed of Bianca. Hope and joy flushed in my bosom at every step. 
i passed a little bower in which we had often sat and read together a book and a glove lay on the bench it was bianca's glove it was a volume of the metastasio i had given her the glove lay in my favourite passage i clasped them to my heart all is safe exclaimed i with rapture she loves me she is still my own i bounded lightly along the avenue on which i had faltered so slowly at my departure i beheld her favourite pavilion which had witnessed our parting scene the window was open with the same vine clambering about it precisely as when she waved and wept me adieu oh how transporting was the contrast in my situation as i passed near the pavilion i heard the tones of a female voice they thrilled through me with an appeal to my heart not to be mistaken before i could think i felt they were bianca's for an instant i paused overpowered with agitation i feared to break in suddenly upon her i softly ascended the steps of the pavilion the door was open i saw bianca seated at a table her back towards me she was warbling a soft melancholy air and was occupied in drawing a glance sufficed to show me that she was copying one of my own paintings i gazed on her for a moment in a delicious tumult of emotions she paused in her singing a heavy sigh almost a sob followed i could no longer contain myself bianca exclaimed i in a half smothered voice she started at the sound brushed back the ringlets that hung clustering about her face darted a glance at me uttered a piercing shriek and would have fallen to the earth had i not caught her in my arms bianca my own bianca exclaimed i folding her to my bosom my voice stifled in sobs of convulsive joy she lay in my arms without sense or motion alarmed at the effects of my own precipitation i scarce knew what to do i tried by a thousand endearing words to call her back to consciousness she slowly recovered and half opening her eyes where am i murmured she faintly here exclaimed i pressing her to my bosom here close to the heart that adores you in the arms of your faithful otavio oh no 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 shrieked she starting into sudden life and terror away away leave me leave me she tore herself from my arms rushed to a corner of the saloon and covered her face with her hands as if the very sight of me were baleful i was thunderstruck i could not believe my senses i followed her trembling confounded i endeavoured to take her hand but she shrunk from my very touch with horror good heavens bianca exclaimed i what is the meaning of this is this my reception after so long an absence is this the love you professed for me at the mention of love a shuddering ran through her she turned to me a face wild with anguish no more of that no more of that gasped she talk not to me of love i i am married i reeled as if i had received a mortal blow a sickness struck to my very heart i caught at a window frame for support for a moment or two everything was chaos around me when i recovered 
i beheld bianca lying on a sofa her face buried in a pillow and sobbing convulsively indignation at her fickleness for a moment overpowered every other feeling faithless perjured cried i striding across the room but another glance at that beautiful being in distress checked all my wrath anger could not dwell together with her idea in my soul oh bianca exclaimed i in anguish could i have dreamt of this could i have suspected you would have been false to me she raised her face all streaming with tears all disordered with emotion and gave me one appealing look false to you they told me you were dead what said i in spite of our constant correspondence she gazed wildly at me correspondence what correspondence have you not repeatedly received and replied to my letters she clasped her hands with solemnity and fervour as i hope for mercy never a horrible surmise shot through my brain who told you i was dead it was reported that the ship in which you embarked for naples perished at sea but who told you the report she paused for an instant and trembled filippo may the god of heaven curse him cried i extending my clenched fists aloft oh do not curse him do not curse him exclaimed she he is he is my husband that was all that was wanting to unfold the perfidy that had been practised upon me my blood boiled like liquid fire in my veins i gasped with a rage too great for utterance i remained for a time bewildered by the whirl of horrible thoughts that rushed through my mind the poor victim of deception before me thought it was with her i was incensed she faintly murmured forth her exculpation i will not dwell upon it i saw in it more than she meant to reveal i saw with a glance how both of us had been betrayed tis well muttered i to myself in smothered accents of concentrated fury he shall account to me for this bianca overheard me new terror flashed in her countenance for mercy's sake do not meet him say nothing of what is past for my sake say nothing to him i only shall be the sufferer a new suspicion darted across my mind what exclaimed i do you then fear him is he unkind to you tell me reiterated i grasping her hand and looking her eagerly in the face tell me dares he to use you harshly no 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 cried she faltering and embarrassed but the glance at her face had told me volumes i saw in her pallid and wasted features in the prompt terror and subdued agony of her eye a whole history of a mind broken down by tyranny great god and was this beauteous flower snatched from me to be thus trampled upon the idea roused me to madness i clinched my teeth in my hands i foamed at the mouth every passion seemed to have resolved itself into the fury that like a lava boiled within my heart bianca shrunk from me in speechless affright as i strode by the window 
my eye darted down the alley fatal moment i beheld filippo at a distance my brain was in a delirium i sprang from the pavilion and was before him with the quickness of lightning he saw me as i came rushing upon him he turned pale looked wildly to right and left as if he would have fled and trembling drew his sword wretch cried i well may you draw your weapon i spake not another word i snatched forth a stiletto put by the sword which trembled in his hand and buried my poniard in his bosom he fell with the blow but my rage was unsated i sprang upon him with the bloodthirsty feeling of a tiger redoubled my blows mangled him in my fury grasped him by the throat until with reiterated wounds and strangling convulsions he expired in my grasp i remained glaring on the countenance horrible in death that seemed to stare back with its protruded eyes upon me piercing shrieks roused me from my delirium i looked round and beheld bianca flying distractedly towards us my brain whirled i waited not to meet her but fled from the scene of horror i fled forth from the garden like another cain a hell within my bosom and a curse upon my head i fled without knowing whither almost without knowing why my only idea was to get farther and farther from the horrors i had left behind as if i could throw space between myself and my conscience i fled to the apennines and wandered for days and days among their savage heights how i existed i cannot tell what rocks and precipices i braved and how i braved them i know not i kept on and on trying to out-travel the curse that clung to me alas the shrieks of bianca rang for ever in my ear the horrible countenance of my victim was for ever before my eyes the blood of filippo cried to me from the ground rocks trees and torrents all resounded with my crime then it was i felt how much more insupportable is the anguish of remorse than every other mental pang oh could i but have cast off this crime that festered in my heart could i have but regained the innocence that reigned in my breast as i entered the garden at sestri could i have but restored my victim to life i felt as if i could look on with transport even though bianca were in his arms by degrees this frenzied fever of remorse settled into a permanent malady of the mind into one of the most horrible that ever poor wretch was cursed with wherever i went the countenance of him i had slain appeared to follow me wherever i turned my head i beheld it behind me hideous with the contortions of the dying moment i have tried in every way to escape from this horrible phantom but in vain i know not whether it is an illusion of the mind the consequence of my dismal education at the convent or whether a phantom really sent by heaven to punish me but there it ever is at all times in all places nor has time nor habit had any effect in familiarizing me with its terrors i have travelled from place to place plunged into amusements tried dissipation and distraction of every kind all 
all in vain i once had recourse to my pencil as a desperate experiment i painted an exact resemblance of this phantom face i placed it before me in hopes that by constantly contemplating the copy i might diminish the effect of the original but i only doubled instead of diminishing the misery such is the curse that has clung to my footsteps that has made my life a burden but the thoughts of death terrible god knows what i have suffered what days and days and nights and nights of sleepless torment what a never-dying worm has preyed upon my heart what an unquenchable fire has burned within my brain he knows the wrongs that wrought upon my poor weak nature that converted the tenderest of affections into the deadliest of fury he knows best whether a frail erring creature has expiated by long enduring torture and measureless remorse the crime of a moment of madness often often have i prostrated myself in the dust and implored that he would give me a sign of his forgiveness and let me die thus far had i written some time since i had meant to leave this record of misery and crime with you to be read when i should be no more my prayer to heaven has at length been heard you were witness to my emotions last evening at the performance of the miserere when the vaulted temple resounded with the words of atonement and redemption i heard a voice speaking to me from the midst of the music i heard it rising above the pealing of the organ and the voices of the choir it spoke to me in tones of celestial melody it promised mercy and forgiveness but demanded from me full expiation i go to make it to-morrow i shall be on my way to genoa to surrender myself to justice you who have pitied my sufferings who have poured the balm of sympathy into my wounds do not shrink from my memory with abhorrence now that you know my story recollect when you read of my crime i shall have atoned for it with my blood when the baronet had finished there was a universal desire expressed to see the painting of this frightful visage after much entreaty the baronet consented on condition they should only visit it one by one he called his housekeeper and gave her charge to conduct the gentlemen singly to the chamber they all returned varying in their stories some affected in one way some in another some more some less but all agreeing that there was a certain something about the painting that had a very odd effect upon the feelings i stood in a deep bow window with the baronet and could not help expressing my wonder after all said i there are certain mysteries in our nature certain inscrutable impulses and influences that warrant one in being superstitious who can account for so many persons of different characters being thus strangely affected by a mere painting and especially when not one of them has seen it said the baronet with a smile how exclaimed i not seen it not one of them replied he laying his finger on his lips in sign of secrecy i saw that some of them were in a bantering vein and i did not choose that the memento of the poor italian should be made a jest of so i gave the housekeeper a hint to show them all to a different chamber thus end 
the stories of the nervous gentleman end of chapter seven recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida